Welcome back to Small Shop Fundraising. This is the second part and the conclusion of my conversation with Taylor Huber and Lena Iwu about their very first and very successful virtual event for the Home of the Innocents in Louisville, Kentucky. Enjoy. Small Shop Fundraising is brought to you by Griffin Fundraising and Marketing, a consulting firm here to help nonprofits with their fundraising and marketing goals. Go to gfmky.com to learn more. All right, so let's let's talk about some of the sponsorship stuff and how it changed from when you were planning for a face-to-face event and now you've flipped the switch, you've pivoted to a virtual event. How did you talk to your current sponsors and how did you start communicating to potential sponsors about this event? Yeah, so I remember distinctly our executive vice president of engagement came into our office and she was like, I don't want you all to panic. But we might have to think about, and this is when we were still working in the office. She was like, we might have to think about other ideas for heroes. And my immediate thought was, okay, we've secured most of our sponsors. What am I supposed to do with all these people's money? Right? And like, <laughs> we're not going to have a table to provide them. And But when, I, when we really stepped back and when we actually made our decision, our first priority was communicating our decision with our sponsors. And then we wanted to be respectful of them. And we wanted to ask them and make sure they were still comfortable sponsoring our event. So most people are probably thinking, what, you ask your sponsors if you keep their money? But we did because, you know, when they originally committed, they were committing to something completely different Mm -hmm. than what we were now providing for them. So it's a very ethical, I think it's a very ethical decision on on the home's part to make sure that what you're doing with their money is what they anticipated you doing with their money. So I think right. that's a very ethical standpoint to come from. Well, thank you. And we also wanted to be sensitive, right? Mm-hmm. So like we knew the state of the home and we knew kind of the things that we were struggling with, but we had no idea what some of these other businesses were struggling with. We didn't know if they had furloughed people. And so mm-hmm. we wanted to give them the option, you know, if they did want to back out, we would have totally understood that. I will say all of our sponsors recommitted except for one we only had one sponsor drop out which you know and we were totally understanding of that sponsor dropping out but um i think that's pretty incredible and speaks to the sponsors that we had secured so our first thing was to communicate our plan with them and then just ask them if they were comfortable moving forward the other thing that we did was even for our sponsors who had not yet committed we kind of um, softened our message a little bit and said, we know these are difficult times and we understand if you're not able to participate, but would you still consider? So we didn't stop soliciting sponsors just because COVID hit. And, you know, I think some people might've been scared or some people might've pulled back, but you know, at the end of the day, we had to think about our kids and we had to think about our mission and this was going to help us provide for our mission. And so, we were honest with our sponsors and we told them we understand this is a difficult time but we need your support now more than ever and so we were still able to secure about twenty three thousand dollars in sponsorships up until two days before our event so we didn't stop i think that is wonderful to hear because if you stop asking the donor 
you have basically made the decision for them. Yes. And we sat on so many webinars and something that someone said on a webinar was we've got to stop deciding for our donors when they're going to give their money and how much they're going to give. After that webinar, I was like, that's right. I'm going to write my emails. And I did. I sent out like 25 emails that day and was able to secure a couple more sponsors that day. Yeah, I think that we can't do that to our donors. So I applaud you all for continuing that and, and not making the decision for your donor. Thank you. You're welcome. I'll get off my soapbox now. How did your sponsorship recognition plan and your benefits plan for your sponsors change because you're now in a virtual event world? So it's really funny because anyone can get a table at our breakfast. We don't even include a table at the breakfast on our sponsorship pack. Like it's not even really a benefit. Mm -hmm. You know, we, our sponsors get recognition on the PowerPoint and our sponsors can reserve a table if they'd like, and their name is put on their table. But as far as recognition for our sponsors go, goes, I'm going to be really honest. We, they probably got more recognition this year than they've ever gotten in the past. Now, what I will say is their logo is prominently displayed in front of 1,100 community and business leaders, right? So when they come to the in-person event, it, there's obvious exposure for them. But this year, they actually were exposed to a lot more people far beyond our in-person event because they were all over social media. They were, um, you know, a part, they were on our website that was visited a lot they also we for our higher level sponsors we gave them the opportunity to record a video of support um, and we posted that on our social media and in, in advance of our event so our sponsors actually got more recognition this year than they have in the past and how did your sponsors feel about that do they did they feel like they got more recognition was that important to them is that the reason why they gave? I don't think it is. I mean, a lot of the sponsors that we communicate with are, you know, sponsors who are very engaged in our mission for whatever reason and have really great relationships with us. So, you know, a lot of our sponsors were returning sponsors that we've had for years and years. And their response when I reached out to them was, of course, we're going to donate. And I sent them the updated virtual packet, but I don't know how many of them even opened it and looked at it. Um, right. So, you know, for our sponsors, they're just loyal sponsors who have been doing this for years and want to continue to support the home. Is that maybe because you all built a relationship with those folks and it's not just a one-off that perhaps you don't just talk to them one time a year and you build like a campaign to make them as a part of the mission as you possibly can? I mean, I would like to think so as the person who's in charge of sponsors. <laughs> I like to think that we do build a really good relationship with our sponsors. You know, we we start cultivating these sponsors in November and so for our June event. So it's a long conversation. It is, um, for many of them, we hold meetings to talk about their sponsorship, to talk about what they liked about the event last year, what could be changed this year. Oh. Um, you know, after the event, we, Taylor and I drove all around town and we delivered little, and like, really, is it that big of a deal? No, but we delivered little M&M packets that said many, many thanks. And so it's another opportunity for us to just thank our donors in person. Um, this year, we were actually planning to have a post event that was going to be a benefit for sponsors to attend and just kind of like a celebration party for them for the impact. We obviously didn't get to have that, but you know, that was something we were considering. So we do, we put a lot of time into cultivating our relationships with our sponsors and 
and really making sure that they feel like they are a part of something bigger than they're just one sponsorship that they're giving. Well, it sounds like you also think a lot about how to say thank you and show gratitude to your sponsors. And I, I wonder, does that go a long way? Yeah, I think it does. When Taylor and I were driving around last August and we were delivering, I think Taylor had been on the job maybe for two weeks. And I was like, hey, come on, we're going to jump in the car and we're going to drive around for two days and take all these M&M packets. She probably thought I was crazy, but it was awesome (laughs) to have that in-person time. You know, we would walk into a business and we would say, hey, this is Lena from Home of the Innocents. And we just have this small token of our appreciation for whoever our sponsor contact was. And, you know, sometimes we would only be able to leave it at the front desk. But then later I would get an email from those people and they would say, thanks so much for thinking of us and dropping this off. Our team really enjoyed it. So, you know, I think it's the little things like that Mm -hmm. that make them feel like they're valued as people who, you know, because we always like to think of our donors, not just as people who give, but people who are investing in our future. And so that's how we like our, our sponsors to feel as well. Like they're investing in the future of our organization. That's brilliant. That's wonderful messaging. I'm a big proponent of stewardship. So uh, that's wonderful. Okay, so we've talked about the logistics and we've talked about uh, the, the switch and we've talked a little bit about how your sponsors responded Let's talk about your overall successes and then we'll get to setbacks, but let's talk about your successes first. We had a lot of success and I will tell you, um, in a safe and socially distant manner, um, Taylor and I got together along with our boss, Kathy, who is our vice president of development at the home. And we sat at a table in in my backyard on June 11th, and we just watched the donations roll in. And it was really exciting to see all this hard work because we were shifting daily to make this happen. So to see all this hard work come together. So when we kind of like totaled up the numbers of our outreach alone, because like Taylor said, we reached more individuals than we would have ever been able to reach in an in-person event. Our communications team shared with us that we reached more than 40,000 individuals through social media, and that doesn't even include the numbers from our emails that were sent out, text messages that were sent out, peer-to-peer fundraising pages. So we feel very confident that this was a way bigger reach than we could have ever had with our in-person event with 1,300 people in the room. That's amazing. It's a great PR moment for you all, right? And more people have learned the name Home of the Innocents than they ever would have if you had had that 1300 person event that you were talking about. So because you can always quantify how many eyeballs you see when it, what other successes, uh, what kind of fundraising goals did you hit? Oh yeah, I can touch on this. So um, our fundraising goal was $200,000 and we raised more than $213,000 from when our event was live. So from June 11th to June 30th. We had approximately $5,000 in expenses, so much, much lower than you would if you host an event in person at a venue. So in total, our net revenue was only $10,000 away from where it was in 2019. So it was a huge, huge success on the fundraising side of it. Um, We were all just blown away by the support that we got that day and throughout um, the month of June. Wow, a $5,000 budget for a, 
an event like that is crazy. <laughs> who, who could even imagine an event that reaches 40,000 people <laughs> and or more and we spent $5,000? <laughs> Well, plus yeah, your time, obviously. Crazy. I mean, that doesn't include, that doesn't include it, like staff time, right? Of course. No. Right. Yeah, that does not include staff time and labor, just the expenses that we paid to third party uh, vendors. But still, I mean, huge. It's, it's huge to just have that little of expenses and to only be $10,000 away from what our net revenue was in 2019 to this year with everything that went on and essentially having less than two months to turn the event around and have it ready to go. So everyone was just blown away and it, it was amazing when we hit our goal. I just remember sitting at my computer at home being like, I really wish I was in the office right now <laughs> to celebrate with everyone. But the, it was, it was just, it was still such a great experience. I just want to put a point on this. You guys had two months to plan a virtual event. You'd been planning an in-person event from November to April, right? From June. Yeah. I mean, we start we okay. start planning this event in June, and then we really ramp up sponsorships. Yeah, in November. Oh, but yeah, I mean, we we start planning in June. It's 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 insane. You you work on an event for a, yeah. for almost a year, and in two months, you reached over forty thousand people. The amount of money that you raised was almost as much as the year prior it's mind-blowing it's just kind of boggles the mind maybe we're doing this event stuff wrong (laughs) that's what I was gonna say Liz it makes you question like everything you've done for years like okay have we have we been doing this wrong for so long are people more interested in virtual events than they are in in person and I think part of that is the time that we're in right now you know like of course people are going to be more engaged in virtual Mm -hmm. Because they're being forced to, because we can't right. do in person. Sure. Right. But our team is already talking about 2021 and what that will look like. And we are considering if we are able to have an in person event, do we include a virtual component? And I think for us, the, it's a no brainer. We have to. I think you're absolutely right. The genie's out of the bottle. That's what I've been saying. It. <laughs> um, the genie's out of the bottle. It's hard to put it back, put that genie back in. You've got this wonderful peer-to-peer portion uh, of your fundraising that for folks who can't get to the event, who um, aren't able to get to the event uh, due to geographic or work or whatever, and they can be included. And, and that inclusiveness right now is, is really an, a wonderful thing to, to be able to say that you have for your events. Okay, so what, what kind of setbacks do you feel like you guys had? What, uh, what things kind of went not so great? Yeah, so I mean, our event was definitely super, super successful, but we did face our fair share of setbacks. Um, definitely, me personally, the biggest one was being furloughed. Mm-hmm. Um, then of course Lena too was her hours were cut back to part time from full time and this was a very quick turnaround. Um, we did not have long to adjust to what that was going to look like for all of our roles. So my full time position, all of my jobs and duties were shifted onto Lena, who was now part time, and then our boss Kathy. So that was just a huge setback for everything since I had been the main contact for all of our logistics. Now, I wasn't able to contact these people, so Lena and Kathy had to take on that part of reaching out to our venue and all of our vendors and trying to cancel the event and see how much money we could get back from it so we didn't lose anything. 
Um, so that was definitely a huge setback for our event. I'm just trying to scramble together and figure out who was going to take on what role. You know, like we had mentioned earlier, March and April for us were our big recruitment times for table hosts and really wrapping up all of our sponsorships. And so with us not even making our decision until April 7th, we lost a whole month of reaching out to and cultivating table hosts slash mission ambassadors. The other thing with that is our executive team, so like our CEO, our executive vice president of engagement, they're instrumental in reaching out to some of those people that, you know, Taylor and I may not have the connections to. So their main priority, as it should have been in March and April, was making sure that our our residents, our clients, and our team members were safe and healthy, and that was our priority, right? And and just getting our organization through the uncertainty of the time. So their focus wasn't on heroes and recruiting table hosts or um, mission ambassadors because it couldn't be. So for us, it, that was also a huge setback because it almost kind of shifted back, you know, our ability to recruit that bigger number because we were already behind. Having a pandemic response plan is not something that every nonprofit has in their toolbox. And, you know, your leadership has to focus on those, especially in in your all's position, those medically fragile children and the folks that, that take care of them. And that's, that's a real hard place to be to juggle uh, something that is as important to the future of the organization like you were talking about and the sheer crisis that everyone found themselves to be in to respond appropriately and and in the right way because that's your role as uh, the leader of an organization. Yeah, and I can't tell you how many times our leadership apologized and said, like, I'm so sorry that this isn't my focus right now. And our response to them was, your focus is in the right place. We've got this. You keep Mm -hmm. focusing on our kids and those we serve. Another setback that we kind of faced a little bit was when we figured out what platform and service we were going to use to do like have our video on and do the peer-to-peer campaign. We had to learn all of that because it was new to everyone on our team. Not only were we planning this whole new event, we also were using this whole new um, software and platform. So learning how to use that and use it in the most effective way, make sure it was set up for not only us to have success, but also our peer-to-peer fundraisers to be successful as well. Um, Definitely kind of set back the time of getting the all ramp up. That, yeah the ramp up and getting that launched and out to our mission ambassadors taylor what platform did you all end up using yeah, we use mobile cause which mobile cause. was awesome we've had great experience with them so far and what we thought we were really just going to use for heroes and maybe a few other things we are already using for another event that one of our associate board is planning so so those were your setbacks we talked about your successes is there anything that you all would have done differently now you're it's in your rearview mirror you've had an opportunity to really analyze the good the bad the ugly what things might you have done differently that a maybe a nonprofit that's planning their largest event coming up in the fall can use as they plan their first virtual event yeah so hindsight is always 2020 absolutely definitely something that we think could have done differently 
was thinking more about our donors and what they needed from us. So, you know, we're thinking all on the planning side, like, okay, we need to get them everything that they could ever want. So they have all this information and they need X, Y, and Z when really we should have started a little slower because we got some feedback afterwards that, you know, the packet that we gave them was overwhelming. And I mean, it was like eight pages long. Of course it's overwhelming, but we didn't know what else to give them. So we gave them everything. Um, so we ended up making a checklist later on that was just one page, very easy, very concise, very simple. So we definitely should have you know, started with that. And then as they needed more information and wanted more information, we could provide that with the packet. So definitely starting slower on getting people involved because we did face some confusion with people, you know, I don't really understand how the event's gonna work and X, Y, and Z. So I think if we would have been more simple at the, like at the beginning when communicating with our donors and mission ambassadors about what the event will look like, what all they could do, it might've helped them some more and not make them feel so overwhelmed. Yeah, and we also have a ton of board members who are really engaged in our breakfast and have been for years, and they're very used to committing to hosting a table, reaching out to their people, and getting their people there that morning. But this looked totally different for them, and um, one of the things that we realized, it was probably June 15th, was we probably should have picked up the phone and called some of those board members who had been supporting us for years and years and ask them like what can we do to help you we see that you're not engaging with this you know what obstacles are you facing what are your questions because if we would have asked them those questions it might have helped us better prepare for the day because we had a lot of board members who were honestly intimidated by the technology and and intimidated by the idea of going virtual. So we we definitely should have picked up the phone and just called them and we didn't, so. Another thing that also people were struggling with when they thought of virtual and they saw the peer-to-peer -peer fundraise, they thought, oh, this is all social media and I don't have social media, so I can't get involved. Where just social media was one aspect mm -hmm. of it. We had a whole email campaign that we did and so many people were texting and emailing so really communicating that even though virtual makes it seem like it is more social media in that aspect you can still pick up the phone and give someone a call we focused a lot on like the online giving and we should have you know really conveyed you know you can still send in checks you can still make a pledge there are other ways to donate than typing your credit card information in online because some people are a little weary about that as well so just making sure you know we communicate all of that and in our follow-up emails that we had after the 11th we were like oh we forgot to include that they can send a check that's so silly but it's a big we, deal we, yeah yeah it is so we made sure that we could that that was in all of our follow-up emails that hey if you know people who wanted to donate but didn't want to donate online they can still send a check and we did receive a lot of donations via check as well. So just making sure that in the future for us and other organizations that do virtual, you know, we learn just give as many options as possible. So what else I'm picking up here is that you all send out a survey or some sort of email to ask for feedback from certain a certain population of the people that were part of the event. Is that right? We have a survey ready to go out. We haven't sent it yet, but we had uh, a lot of the feedback that we got was from 
board members that conveyed like our CEO, what they thought about, you know, the packet and that kind of stuff. And then he passed it along to us. We are getting ready to send a survey out to all of our mission ambassadors who were involved. So it's going to be interesting to see what they have to say and what feedback they have as we move forward in planning for 2021, because it's clear that virtual was a huge success for us. And so we need to keep some form and aspect of it for our events coming up. So, yeah, I think it's great that you send out a survey post the event. We've never done that before. This is new and it honestly, Taylor found it through our mobile calls platform and we thought, well, we're already paying for this platform. We might as well use all of its features. So she put together a really awesome survey and we really took time to think about our questions that we were asking to make sure that we were getting the information that we needed in order to plan for the future. Is there anything else that you feel like a person who's listening to this podcast right now, they're, they're wringing their hands, trying to figure out, do I need to switch to virtual? And, and in fact, they do switch. What other factors do they need to hear from people who are now veterans of virtual events, you two, <laughs> that can help them as they prepare for this new adventure? Anything else? I would definitely say take time in making your decision. We had multiple, multiple meetings about what we wanted to do, what would be best for not only us as an organization, but our donors and people who were invested in our mission and what would work for everybody. And then just when you figure out your plan, just communicate with people. We probably sent more emails to these people than they ever could have wanted from us. But we had to get the message of, across of what we were doing and why we're doing it and how it's going to work. So communication was just, I think, a huge part of this event, more than it has ever been in the past, because it's new for everybody. And another thing that I think really helped us was we offered trainings as well to our mission ambassadors and the people that were going to be helping us spread awareness. So we did like three or four live trainings on Zoom that they could sign up for and attend. And we just went through pretty much everything on how they could get involved, how you can write an email to send to somebody and, you know, kind of thinking through how you want to send out your messages and what platforms you want to use, whether it's social media or email or texting or calling somebody and then just giving them examples of everything, like have fun with it. And that was a way that, you know, we could get together as a group and still make those and build those relationships. And then they could ask questions right then and there and get them answered for what confused on or needed help with. So I think that really helped too. By the time we got to our last training, no one, no one asked any questions. (laughs) I think just the communication aspect of it, was just a major thing that really helped us succeed in our event. Yeah, I think what just one more thing to add is like, you have to give yourself a little grace, right? So like, we've Mm -hmm. never planned an event like this before. We've participated in like, Giving Tuesday, or we do a a month long giving campaign for Child Abuse Prevention Month. So we've done things kind of like this before, but never to this extent. And, you know, Taylor and I, daily would have phone calls where we were chatting with each other and about to pull our hair out because something else had changed and there was another obstacle we had to overcome. But, you know, one of the things that we had to do as a team with our boss, Kathy, was 
give ourselves grace, remind ourselves we had never done anything like this before, take a deep breath and remember that we were gonna come through this on the other side. So, you know, when you're in the thick of it, it's really hard to have that perspective. But now that it's July, we feel like, you know, the decisions we made and keeping ourselves cool, calm and collected throughout the whole thing, it it really helped us a lot. That's good perspective to have and to share with those who might be facing this exact decision later on this year. Thank you so much for sharing what your virtual event for thousands of people, it sounds like, went and the successes and the setbacks. I feel like you all really gave us a good transparent look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. So thank you so much for for sharing. I do have uh, a couple other questions kind of unrelated to the the virtual event, but they're my one thing common questions. You know, you guys decide who's going to answer these. So what is one thing that you love about working at a nonprofit? Don't jump at once. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Do we both answer or do we answer separately? How does this work? Um, However you all want to do it, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with either way. Because the next question is going to be, what do you love less about <laughs> working at a nonprofit? Okay. Well, I can share. Okay. The thing I love about working at nonprofits is the relationships we get to build with those who are investing in our mission. And getting to share with them the impact their investment is making. I, I can also sure, answer sure, please. part too. For me, I love working at a nonprofit because we get to see daily how we are helping people and these children and their families overcome the obstacles that they have faced in their life. I think that's just a very um, powerful thing that really motivates you to completely flip an event and make it successful. (laughs) So what one thing do you love less about working, not hate, but love less about working at a nonprofit? Hearing no when (laughs) you make a financial ask. (laughs) That is still, I've gotten better at hearing no, but it's still just, oh, it, it pains me. It burns a little a bit, huh? <laughs> it does every time. Yeah. I don't think, whew, yeah, it burns. You, you go in so positive and excited and then no just brings you down. I don't think any of us like to hear the word no. No. So, <laughs> Taylor, do you have one or is that one yours too? I don't think I could top that. No, I think that's that a good one. Yeah, I think that's perfect. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, well, and in the era of COVID, I feel like we've heard a lot of no. So I'm getting more yes. comfortable with no. <laughs> yeah, you have to sit with no for a little bit and get comfortable with her. Yeah. What is one piece of advice that you would like to share with other fundraisers in, in the nonprofit world? My piece of advice is... You've got to make sure that you are putting your heart and soul into this because the work that we do is so emotional Uh um, and you're going to be invested emotionally, but you also have to be able to take a step back and celebrate your successes because that's really hard for me. It's, It's hard to take a step back and say, wow, we raised this much money. And we did really great things for our organization, but if it didn't hit the goal that I was so emotionally invested in, it's hard not to feel down about that. So celebrating your successes, even when they might not look like the success that you had originally planned for. And it also sounds like you can't 
fake it. You can't fake the passion and the love that you might have for the mission and the work that you do at a nonprofit. Is that? Yeah. I mean, there. <laughs> I feel like I've sat in more meetings when vendors have tried to charge us more than we necessarily wanted to pay. And, you know, I have, my goal is to advocate for the children and families we serve because every extra dollar that I'm paying you or every extra dollar that you're charging me is taking away from something that could provide services for these families that could change their lives. So, mm-hmm. you know, that might sound dramatic, but it is the passion and it is the truth. It's the transparency. Yeah. What, what one resource is your favorite resource right now? Could it be mobile cause? Yeah, honestly, mobile cause is my favorite resource right now. They have offered wonderful trainings. Another one that I think has been really helpful for us is free will. They have been doing free webinars on Tuesdays since COVID hit. Um, and they have given us just a great insight on, you know, not stopping on asking um, for donations and don't hold back just because of this continue your work. So I think they have been just like a great resource. I don't have like a concrete resource. Honestly, for me, getting through this time has just been about connecting with my peers and other organizations um, and just trying to figure out like, what are you all doing? Am I crazy? <laughs> like, <laughs> help me through this, help me think this through. So I've really relied on my peers who are at, at other organizations or doing consulting work that can that can help kind of talk me off that ledge when I need it. Well, that's an absolute resource in my opinion. So last one, what one thing have you all personally or with the home been doing to be more inclusive, to be, to have more diverse, provide more equity in our community? So these conversations are conversations that I have within my immediate family regularly. So one of the things that I've really been focusing on is how can I have these conversations outside of my family with those who maybe have different thoughts that I have and how can I listen to them, not shut down, not get defensive and have a strong and open conversation with them to where we can both hear each other's perspectives and and hopefully I can enlighten them with some things that might make them think a little differently about their perspectives if it's a perspective that is exclusive and The other thing I will say about the home is I have been incredibly impressed with our leadership. Our president and CEO, Paul Robinson, put out a statement very early on when a lot of this unrest started and took a very strong stance as an organization against racism and, you know, and shared with our team some vulnerability as a white male in a leadership position. And so that for me, seeing our leader do that spoke volumes not only for for our organization but also for my family you know that really was emotional and motivating for me to continue having those hard conversations even when it's uncomfortable yeah lena i definitely agree i think the home provides a really safe space to have these conversations they offered um different zoom meetings that you could get on to talk about everything that was going on or that is going on right now Um, to have those open conversations and to 
really express how you are feeling and learn more about what you can do to help and just figuring out what you can do best to support and to stand against racism and to include everybody. Um, so I think having those and being in the conversations with our leadership and executives, you know, very impressive that the home does that. Those are great. I'm so glad to hear those those types of conversations are continuing in our in our community and in the nonprofit world locally and, and hopefully nationwide. That concludes Small Shop Fundraising this week, and I want to thank our guests again for being here, Lena Ewu and Taylor Huber. Uh, ladies, if our listeners would like to get a hold of you, could I share your social media? If other more people have questions about your event or what the home is or anything like that, would that be okay? Absolutely. Yeah, that's totally fine. You can include all of our social media links you can put my email in there as well if you'd like if people have more questions i think they will i hope they they will anyway (laughs) yeah we we love talking about our event because it was so successful so we're happy to share okay (laughs) super all right this has been small shop fundraising i'm your host liz hack thanks for listening